Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Money Mentors Podcast. My name is Glenn Fairburn, and I co-host this program with Nathan Lear. Um, our objective is to improve financial literacy and awareness. Uh, we're brought to you by Hewson Private Wealth, one of Australia's leading independent financial planning and wealth management firms. Um, today, we're joined by um, Managing Director of Hewson Private Wealth, Andrew Hewson, um, who recently returned from a study and innovation tour to the US. Um, so we have a bit of a chat to him about what he learned over there and potentially what the future of advice in Australia looks like. So um, enjoy the podcast. Welcome everyone to this week's episode of the Money Mentors Podcast. Uh, this week, Nathan and I are joined by Managing Director of Hewison Private Wealth, Andrew Hewison. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you very much for having me, guys. Andrew's just returned back from the US where he was on a study and innovation tour, visiting a number of wealth management firms in the US and also um, a number of technology firms. Um, so, Andrew, as far as wealth management in the US goes, I suppose a lot of us look to the US in all sorts of industries and, and sectors um, to sort of crystal ball and see where perhaps we may be heading. I suppose the US is viewed as I suppose, leaders in, in a lot of areas. Um, so as far as advice goes, is there anything different happening from a client perspective in the US or even from an advice perspective compared to what we experience here? Um, look, it's, there, there's, there's a couple of um, fundamental differences. And, and as you were saying, you know, the US is is viewed as the te- almost like the epicenter of just about everything. You know, there's just this belief that that in the US they do things better and they they lead the way in in a lot of different areas, including investment, wealth planning, and financial advice and whatnot. I mean, certainly what they do do really well is the the technology aspect. Just about just about uh, any any leading edge piece of technology will generally come out of the US um, and you know even from I think you know robo advice platforms which we'll, we'll talk about during the podcast I mean they originate from the US but and so there were some really interesting um, um, software technology solutions that we saw that I, I hope will feed down into the Australian market but what I would say is uh, and I did this tour last year as well and I took this out of last year's tour is they're probably about five years behind in relation to um, goals-based advice, which which is very flavour of the month here in Australia at the moment, um, even though I would say that Hewis and Private Wealth have been doing object we call it objective-based advice, but goals-based advice for thirty years. So, but, so just just um, expanding on that a little bit further for our listeners, as far as what goals-based advice is, so is what you're basically saying that within Australia we're more focused on. Um, talking to the clients about what their objectives are, whether that be short, medium, long term, yeah. and then constructing a strategy around that as yeah. opposed to a risk profiling model. Yeah, there's a whole other podcast in this probably yeah. already, but um, I, I would still say that, you know, to pick a figure, 75% of the, even the Australian market, they'll still design a client portfolio that's based on a risk profile, which is a set of questions that you're asked to fill out and that will then essentially get fed into a computer program and you, you'll be, you'll be uh, sort of spat out an investment strategy and an asset allocation at the other end. Um, whereas, you know, we don't do things that way. We, 
there's no point putting together an investment strategy if it's not meeting the, the individual's goals and objectives. That's yeah. why they come to see you in the first place. Um, but a lot of it is a compliance and protection mechanism for the advisor. Um, so in, in the United States, they're still just grasping that, that, that concept. Um, they're still very, you know, from an investment point of view. So the, the history of the US market, it comes out of wirehouses, which is the large broking firms. And so when they're really, I guess, selling their value to their clients, it's still very investment focused. Now, we've always said in our business for many years, investing isn't rocket science. You invest in good quality companies that you own, you control the outcome to a degree and, and you move on. The most important piece is getting the strategy right because yeah. a strategy that, that isn't implemented properly and isn't um, addressing the client's needs, you can undo any of your, just about all of your investment returns if you don't get the strategy right. So in the US, um, they're still probably grasping that as well and how they appropriately sort of show the value that they add from a strategic point of view. They're very heavy on the investment side. Um, the other thing I would mention is that Australia still has a long way to go in relation to, um, in relation to education standards. But in the US, they're five years, five to ten years behind us when it comes to dealing with this concept of, you know, converting what is an industry to a profession, which is what we are dealing with in Australia. Um, you know, uh, we all, well, those in the industry, you, you two and myself and so forth, we understand that you, from a compliance point of view, you need to produce a statement of advice when you initially see a client um, or whenever you're uh, putting together any product type of advice. In the US, they, they don't have to do that. They just have to get a sign-off from the individual that says, yeah, you know, we're engaging with you and, and off you go. You can start implementing investments and the like without having to put anything really in writing. Yeah. So there's, there's areas, yes, technology, they do, you know, there's some, they're leading the way. But in, but in Australia, I still think we're ahead of the game in relation to the overall, overall service. Was there a lot of discussion about the, I suppose, well, I know one of the recent changes in legislation in the US relates to fiduciary duty, where I suppose in Australia, it's probably not a recent thing where effectively what that means is that you have to act in the client's best interest. And I know that that was a fairly new thing that was introduced in the US. Was there a lot of discussion about that with some of the firms that you visited there? It was, it was touched on. Um, it was, you know, they, they, they talk about themselves as fiduciaries, um, but um, it, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a, a huge talking point as far as what they're doing from an innovation point of view. And make the point too, just to backtrack a little, when we talk about innovation, and like Glenn, I think you touched on it in your intro, but most people think about technology when you think about innovation and this whole concept of human, the human interaction and the human advice process being replaced by computer systems and algorithms and robots. And, you know, what I took out of last year and what I took out of this year is that the technology is going, technology is improving and it's, you know, it's exciting. Um, it's, an, it's what it is, is an enabler for the advisor to continue with their trusted relationship with the client. There's certain things in, as we move on into the future that it becomes an expectation of the client that it should just certain aspects or certain access to information should be at the end of their fingertips 24 seven and technology is the enabler for them to do that. Um, 
it is it is it is an enabler for for businesses like Hewison's to be able to become more efficient um, in in the way they do things. So you know what previously would could have been a manual a manual task that took you know someone a few hours. If we can automate that, what it gives you is an extra three hours to spend time with your client. Andrew, that leads perfectly into what I was going to ask you about, which is you did touch on it earlier, being robo advice or, or robotic advice for people that aren't familiar with that term, which basically involves uh, you know, the computer, I guess, doing a lot of the work from an investment point of view. Um, in, in Australia, in the US, obviously, um, it kind of was born out of the US and has come to Australia and has been around for some years now. And people have, uh, there were fears several years ago that it would kind of make advisors redundant do a lot of the work just would like to hear your view from being in the u.s what's the 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 view on robo advice over there at the moment the the view on robo advice is that it's been around for about 10 years now and 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 to your point nathan there was this view probably five years ago that uh you know financial advisors like us were going to be out of a job um that has um really been as far as a as a concept has been debunked it's 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 now viewed as i said before that um any kind of technology whether it's robo advice um or any other systems and processes that can be developed they they are going to work hand in hand with the advisor the perfect example of this um occurred early this year when there was a market correction and the feedback that we got from um, from some of the other planners who do access, they utilise a robo-advice type of platform, um, probably more for people who don't have a great deal of money and are just looking to enter the market for the first time. Um, but at the end of the day, when that correction when came around, people were still on the phone. Mm. And so if, if, if what happens is if you've just got a robo-advice platform with no ability for human interaction... The client, when they get nervous, will just pull their money out because as we all know, part of what we get paid to do and sometimes when we really earn our money is when things aren't going so well and we've got to talk people back off the plank. Robo-advisors can't do that. Does that make sense? Definitely. And the the relationship element is so important and I know I've seen a few of the surveys out there even when we've surveyed our clients and always relationship is, is one of the key kind of variables yeah. or key things they want. A 25-year-old tech entrepreneur in Silicon Valley with, with uh, whether they've, whether they've um, had a sale event and realized a lot of money or even if they're just trying to start you know, building a wealth platform, when, when things get volatile in the markets, just like a 70-year-old does, they want to talk to someone on the, on the, on the other end of the phone to know that everything is okay. So, so is it fair to say with robo-advice that it's, being more used more as a tool for an advisor to provide a particular service for a client at a stage in their life as you said perhaps when they're less sophisticated in in their sort of structures and arrangements that you know it's pretty straightforward they've got a savings plan so more of a tool as opposed to something that's going to replace that advisor yeah and so in in a nutshell robo robo advice is essentially uh, again, the individual will jump online, fill out a questionnaire, could be 10 to 20 questions, and then out of that, um, through artificial intelligence, um, the, the, the advice platform spits out um, an asset allocation, um, and then if you, if you agree to that, your money goes in, gets invested according across the board 
that across that asset allocation and then via essentially via an automated algorithm it will be automatically rebalanced as markets move over time it's it's it isn't goals based advice it's not that specific objective based advice you are handing off control and flexibility to to um, a machine i mean there are obviously investment advisors behind it determining what investments might be appropriate for the platform but not necessarily for the individual so you, you have to understand what that distinction is now I guess there's going to be certain iterations of what robo-advice means and what the technology sort of means. I mean, I would hope that Hewis and Private Wealth are going to be able to utilise um, certain systems and pieces of software and technology to more efficiently provide the advice in the way that we do it. Um, and a great example of that is where uh, we're currently aware of some technology um, which... You know, rather than we, we, if we go right back five, ten years ago, the only way we could provide advice to our clients is by sending them a letter and having them sign it and send it back. And these days we've moved into into email. But I mean, when you've got clients that are out doing things, you know, whether it's retired clients or business business people traveling, I mean, they're not always available via email, and they're not always checking their email. So even email, to some degree, is becoming a slow way of providing advice and getting a reply so you know there are pieces of software out there now that are allowing people to receive things on their smartphone whether it's through an app a push notification or a text message and they can approve advice via a touch you know accept or reject on the screen of their phone and it goes straight back into the system and enables us to start implementing things a lot faster so i mean from a client experience people probably think our technology all that means is that with my advisor, there's going to be less people maybe and I'm going to be interfacing more with a computer system. But what you're saying is that effectively technology will just provide a more efficient and clearer experience for the client, not not replacing the interaction with the individual, which is it, val- valuable. Correct. It's all about the client experience and it's all about how we can remove you know, those small little friction points um, of, of how we provide our service to our clients and I bet if our clients really you know were open and honest with us and and not just ours but you know clients of all financial planners that there's probably times we're like oh geez why can't they just do it this way why do they have to bother me with this and I wish it worked this way and and our job's to figure out what those little frustrations are and remove them and if technology can do that then more power to it Um, that doesn't mean that we're going to be becoming faceless advisors and you can you know you're not going to get access to us because machines are doing all the work it's actually the opposite to that complete opposite to that Andrew, i just want to change tune a little bit and have a think about in investing um so in in australia and uh, and the u.s advisors have traditionally used managed funds or mutual funds as they call it over in the u.s where they they effectively outsource the investment management to a to a manager, he'll, he'll pick stocks, they'll charge a, a fee, call it one, one and a half percent. However, in the last 10 years, there's been a, a strong push towards index or passive investing or exchange traded funds where you can gain access to basically a whole market, call it the Dow Jones Indice or the Australian All Ordinaries Index for basically a very small fee, call it 10, 20, 30 basis points. So significantly cheaper. Just interested in your experience from visiting the US, how you know, how looking looking into the future a little bit, you know, will that 
shift of momentum continue? Um, how do you yeah. see that playing out? Uh, I know you guys have done a, a podcast on the difference difference between active and passive, and even today we've kind of touched on it. So I, I don't think I'm not going to. I won't. No need to get into the detail of active versus passive. But the the strategy you're talking about is is a more of a a, a passive type of strategy. Which sorry, Andrew, just to set the scene, that does complement the the passive investing investing does complement the the robo model doesn't it because it's low cost it's low it's low touch for the manager that sits behind the scenes um and look again it has its it has its absolute place there's no no doubt about that but the robo advisors one of the reasons why they're able to charge 0.3 percent whether it's um you know vanguard are a the, the a global the largest um provider of etf so they also have a robo platform charles schwab's another one and there's others um, but there's a lot of people looking at that going, oh, well, that's the future. You know, you can get your investment advice and your your your, your financial advice, like yeah. the strategic spe- um, piece as well for 0.3%. That is absolute rubbish. And they now know. So the strategy for these guys was gaining market share. You know, when you've got this, you know, like a startup culture for a business, they don't care about profitability. They need they need to build their database. They need to build build... Um, build market share so they've done that but interestingly enough um, I was interested to find that Vanguard um, if you want access to an advisor if you want access to you you having your overall financial planning strategy looked at and managed um, the prices are now going back up so they've got their market share and in some respects now they're ratcheting the prices back up and that's really just because investment is only you know, a, not a small part, but it, it's only part of the bigger picture, isn't it? Hundred percent. So it's all good and well, you know, using a robo advice as a consumer product and perhaps using that to manage a portfolio of investments. As you were saying earlier, though, there's a lot more bigger things to look at from a strategic perspective that could detract from your performance if if things aren't right. But also non-investment related things as well. That's isn't right. It? I mean, in, who, who's making sure that your 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 insurances are in place so that your assets are protected? I mean. In this, well, one of the things I think, I know you did a a podcast recently with Marcus English and, you know, the the biggest asset to anyone in their working life is their income. So it's all very well to be making money and investing it um, through perhaps a low cost passive platform. Um, But if your income's not, not protected and you've got debt, you know, on a home or something on the other side, I mean, who's, who's giving you advice on that? Your estate planning, your tax planning, um, you know, getting structuring right, all that kind of thing. So that that does not, you know, fall into your point three percent. I was just while it's speaking about cost and and how index invest, investing has driven down or putting a little bit of pressure, I suppose, on investment management fees. Just thought I'd ask your experience from the US whether how do they compare to Australia? Like, would you say that advisor fees are relatively similar, more expensive, cheaper? Um. So yeah, good question. I. In the US, the model is still, um, you know, they're, they're big on fee-for-service, which is great. And the way that they do that is still very much around an asset-based model, which is sits very well with, with Hewison's because that's, that's how we charge. Um, but um, um, fees generally, from what I saw, like it's still based on that sliding scale. It, it, it still looks pretty similar. Uh, the only small difference that I picked up was, say, you know, if, if Hewison's a managing, let's say, a million-dollar investment portfolio and we charge 0.95% excluding GST, 
Um, for the first, that that's 0.95% for the whole whole million. Um, but if you had $500,000 with Hewison's, we would charge 1.15. So, um, and the, but the only difference is over there is that they will still charge one point, well, one and a half to two percent on the first half a million, and maybe one point two five or one point one five on the second, and then point nine five for a million and above. Well, Whereas it's a type it's, system. Well, it is. Yeah, it's we would call what we how we charge on a sliding scale. But if you've got a million dollars, it's just 0.95% on the whole million. Whereas they they are still probably more expensive overall, even if someone says, okay, well, at the $5 million mark, we'll charge you 0.65, which is the same as, say, Hewison's do. But for the first half a million, they're charging one and a half to two. So they're probably still probably more expensive. Yeah. And interesting on that, more expensive. And a lot of them are possibly just focusing on the investment, like you said. So... There might not be a lot of strategic value there as well. Hard to know, well, depending it, on the situation. But. It is, it is. And I, I was away on, on this, this tour with 14 other principals and a few of them made that comment that they felt that, you know, we had this conversation around value, okay? So as long as you're charging a fee for service, which effectively is a fee that's charged by the, by the advisor and it's direct, uh, directly paid by the individual, I mean, it, it doesn't matter what you charge. You you could charge 5% if you wanted to. If you can show that that individual that they're getting value, well, that's totally up to you. Um, the other advisors and some of the accountants in the room, they really felt that they that the, that the US wealth managers don't really, haven't been able to yet sort of articulate how they show value on the strategic side, but they can, they can always talk about investment. Whereas... And, and maybe that's still the case in Australia for some people, but I think we're ahead of the game in Australia in relation to the strategic aspect and actually how we show value in that area. Just before we wrap things up, just, just a final question for me, moving away from the wealth management investment side of things, you, you also visited um, Facebook and Amazon. I was just interested to hear what you learnt from those organisations, more so from a cultural perspective within the business how they treat their employees, and then what value that then provides to the client. Aside from the fact that I'd love to work there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Just because you, 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 once you get swiped, once you get swiped into these, uh, to these campuses, it's it's like Wonderland. <laughs> everything's free. Everything's. But I mean, I mean that that has really kind of spawned out of the 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 the, the silicon the Silicon Valley area you know you're talking about linkedin facebook google amazon microsoft and in order to, in order to attract the talent and retain it they they need to offer these people um a hell of a lot to to keep them there so but in saying that what you get in return is unbelievable loyalty um you know for example um mark zuckerberg um when they reached one billion subscribers to their the facebook platform mark got up in front of his and what i think they've got about twenty five thousand employees now back then i think it was maybe 10 to fifteen thousand, and it was almost like a rock star event he stood up on stage and told everyone but he also said at the time um we're not releasing this to you know through a press release for another seven days and i would really appreciate it if no one said anything, <laughs> try telling that to ten to fifteen thousand people, and not yeah. and not worry that someone's going to leak that and get 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 paid a bit of cash on the side to leak it to a news publication. No one leaked it, 
and that shows the strength of, of their culture. And what I would say to that point is like, how does that then relate back to the individual from a value standpoint? Well, I mean, particularly in financial services, I mean, we're very, we're very client facing. We're very, it, it is very front office, particularly for our business. Um, if, you, if you're looking after your staff and you're keeping them happy and healthy and engaged, I mean, the way that they then take that and, and then provide services to the client can, you can, you know, could be tenfold. But if you've got, if you don't treat your people well and you don't respect them and you don't engage them, aside from the fact you're going to have really high staff turnover and, and we know in our business clients, if ever that, there's a feeling that that's happening, clients don't like it. Particularly when you're dealing with financial planning and money, mm. you need to. It takes time to build trust, not People just with want your consistency, advi- don't they? Yeah, yeah, not just with your advisor, with your yeah. client service manager and the associate advisors. And if if you if every five minutes you're saying, "Oh, we we, we lost Jenny, and then we lost David," you can't start to sit back and go, "Well, okay, well, what's wrong with your business in the background?" Yeah, definitely. Well, look, I think there's a, there's obviously a lot to learn by looking outside of your business. Where you know, for our listeners, many of you may have small businesses. I think from the study tour that Andrew's been on, but also other experiences, you can always learn from other industries as to how to deal with clients, as to how to service them. I think we've spoken about the fact that robo advice is perhaps here to stay, but perhaps at this stage, not um, removing that client advisor relationship, but more of a tool to provide a more effective and efficient service to uh, the end client so look thank you andrew for joining us this week no problem. Um, and to all our listeners look forward to speaking to you all again next week thanks again everyone for listening to this week's episode of the money mentors podcast um, please visit our website which is www.hewison.com.au um, you can also find out more about hewison private wealth on the various social media platforms so linkedin twitter and facebook by searching hewison private wealth Um, as always we're very keen to hear your feedback um, so please do so via itunes by leaving a review Um, please also subscribe and rate Um, once again thank you and we look forward to chatting to you all again next week